Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Christians are called to follow Jesus with the right mindset. And I hope you read the bulletin this week. Um, Will has written about mastering our thoughts. So a little bit connected with what I, our mindset as Christians. Last week we looked at how we often put God on mute or ourselves on mute. Um, and Jesus uses compassion to, um, and, and correction to feed our faith in him. The key verse for this week in the chapter 8, verse 29, but what about you, he asked, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. So who do you say Jesus is? That's the question for us today. What's your perception of Jesus? Uh, We're going to look at the disciples there. Here's my overview. First of all, we'll look at the declaration by the disciples, by Peter, who represents the disciples. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. After we see the blind man healed. Then we'll look at Jesus' mention of the cross and correcting Peter's mindset. And then finally, Jesus talks about the cost that's linked to the cross and suffering. And then there's a couple of mentions there about coming. First of all, Christ. The first vision, uh, we'll see Jesus as the miracle worker and also Messiah. So we've seen the miracle already of the feeding the 4,000 plus people with seven, was it? Seven loaves, yes, seven loaves and a a few fish. Jesus has supernatural power, and we're going to see it again. He's been questioning the disciples, and they're coming to Bethsaida. A couple of the disciples, three of the disciples, this was their hometown. And I love that some people brought the blind man to Jesus. Well, he was blind. He needed someone to lead him to Jesus. And then I love how Jesus took him by the hand and led him out of the village. Then he spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him. Then he asks him, do you see anything? And I wonder if this is also for the benefit of the crowd looking on, because Jesus is the miracle worker and he wants the blind man to see, but also everyone around him to see. I see people, they look like trees. Mark doesn't see why, Mark, the writer, doesn't say why the healing took two touches by Jesus, but we know that Jesus didn't leave him half healed. He put hands on him once more, on his eyes, and then he saw clearly, and then he sent him home to his village. So that's the, the blind man's healing. And then the next part is the Messiah, the disciples. Jesus by this time had a reputation, okay? He'd been doing miracles around the place and teaching a lot. And people had a view, a perception of who he was. 
and Elijah, John the Baptist, one of the prophets. So they weren't bad concepts. And then Jesus turns it on the disciples and says, and who do you say I am? I really would love to know what the disciples were thinking as they journeyed on this road heading up north, beautiful green place, part of Palestine that Jesus is now, this is a central turning point. Um, It's going to be Jesus teaching the disciples because he's preparing them for when he goes to the cross. And I'd love to know what the disciples were thinking. They've just seen this amazing miracle of Jesus healing. So, you know, they must have often thought, whoa, who is this man? He can help the blind see. And Nathaniel had already identified Jesus previously, one of the disciples. He'd already said, declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. This is when Philip brought him. Philip came from Bethsaida. You're, you're the King of Israel. So we do get some glimpses already of what the disciples thought about who Jesus was. And when he asks them this time, of course, Peter, representing, he's the outspoken one. He says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And then immediately Jesus warned them not to tell anyone. Why? Why did Jesus warn his disciples not to tell anyone he was the Messiah? He didn't want just to be known as a miracle worker. Yes, he is a miracle worker. Of course he is. He has supernatural power. But he didn't want them. This is not just a healing campaign. Uh, so he sent the man home, and then he, he tells the disciples, uh, not yet. The broadcasting about who Jesus is, will, the time will come. Uh, here we um, see him warning not to tell. And my, my principle for this section is that seeing Jesus as the disciples were beginning to see. The next slide, number six. Yes, so seeing Jesus as the Messiah is the staple food of faith, you know, the the bread thing from the previous miracle. But Messiah is the Hebrew version of the Greek word Christ, and it meant for the Hebrew people, God showing up. God manifesting himself as the great deliverer, the one promised of God, the one that the Jews were expecting to come. And answering who Jesus is and to say the Messiah was, was on the money. It was correct. Um, and so seeing Jesus as the Messiah is fundamental to our faith. Jesus is the bread of life. Staple foods like bread and rice and potatoes, um, Kisra in Sudan, Ugali in Congo, uh, Injera in Ethiopia, they're staple food, flatbreads in the Middle East and root vegetables in the tropics. The staple foods are an essential part of the diet around the world and Jesus is the bread of life and without him there is no eternal life. Andrew Murray 19th century South African writer said, the power of prayer depends almost entirely upon our apprehension of who it is with whom we speak. So when we 
we're thinking about who Jesus is, uh, we can't just recite prayers, this, this quote, without realizing who, who we're talking to. Who is Jesus? Who is the God we pray to? He's a real person, yes, to that. He's spirit, but he is real. And he's fundamental. Coming to Jesus is fundamental. Now, my coming to Jesus when I was age 17 was pretty ordinary, pretty ordinary and not sensational or dramatic, very real. I went home and told my 14-year-old sister at the time, I was 17, about Jesus and she believed it was exciting. It was a great thing to come to Jesus, but it was still ordinary. Uh, What I'm saying is the staple is essential. So it might look ordinary, bread doesn't taste pretty dramatic or sensational, but it is an essential part of our diet. The staple food of faith is believing Jesus is the Christ, my personal saviour, your personal saviour, he's real, he saves us, he gives us a good taste, not a bad taste, not a uh, he gives us the taste of forgiveness. He gives us nourishment, a taste of hope for the future. That's who Jesus fundamentally is, our saviour. So is Jesus your bread of life? Is he foundational to everything you do and say? Is he behind all that? Is he fundamental for you? Your bread of life, your sustainer your miracle worker, your Messiah. If not, will you believe in him today? It might not be dramatic. It might just be coming to Jesus simply. Maybe you are already a believer. Many of you are, I can see. And do you need another touch from Jesus? Maybe he isn't wanting you to just experience a miracle, but something more sustaining Miracles are given to help us believe. But if you already believe, um, you just need to keep going. Plain truth, energizing truth, sustaining truth for all the ups and downs of life, for all the lockdowns of COVID, through the uncertainties. He is the staple in our lives. He, He should be. He wants to be. Well, correctly identifying who Jesus is, as the disciples did here, doesn't mean they really understand. So we'll keep going into the next section, which is the cross and correction. Verses 31 to 33. Jesus teaches them that he must suffer. We don't want to hear that. Peter certainly didn't. Now, I noticed that Jesus said three things. Be rejected, killed, and rise again in three days. Which one did Peter hear? The middle one. He probably thought, yeah, 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 we know that the Pharisees and elders, we know they're a problem, you know, they're our enemies, but we'll deal with that. We'll, we'll keep you out of sight. We'll, we'll handle that. Jesus, um, Peter, really heard the killed bit. Violent death. Ugh. And, and I, if I was Peter, I wouldn't have liked that. But he also missed, I think he was so preoccupied with, you're not going to die, you're not going to 
be killed. You know, we, we can't handle that thought. I reckon that's what made him kind of forget about the resurrection. And, and I think we see more of that in the chapter 9. That it, he, Peter's focused in on the suffering, the killed, and doesn't want to hear about it. But when Jesus says this, he's not saying it, you know, we haven't got the background music of gloom and doom. He's speaking plainly. He's telling them the truth. He's not fearful. He's not fretting. He's not anxious. He's telling them the truth at this point. He knows they need to know his mission, what he's on earth for. Jesus is, is bold. He, he clearly, he, the Bible says, he spoke plainly. There's no ambiguity. Yeah, he is going to be killed. And Peter doesn't like it, so Peter protests. It was difficult for the disciples to see him as uh, who he really was, a suffering servant as predicted in Isaiah 53. They, like many, wanted him to deliver them from the Roman rule, wanted to, be, to drive out the hated Romans. But Peter rebuked him because he's not quite the Messiah he had in mind. He doesn't harmonize with his messianic dignity. But he did love Jesus. So you see where he's coming from. He loved Jesus. And I know Jesus would have understood that. And it's not like Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, in a reactionary kind of tone. Because we, the Bible tells us that he turned and looked at the disciples. And, and he, I, I guess he's saying, they're, they're on the same page. They need this truth. And it's a harsh truth. It's, it's really heart-wrenching. And it's similar to the temptation Jesus had. See, this is a close friend. Peter's his good mate. He's a disciple, a close disciple. And he's telling him, nah, you're not going to the cross. God had told Jesus to go to the cross. It was his mission. Jesus came to die for us. And here was his good mate trying to stop that. It would have been an a humongous wrong for Peter if he'd succeeded, which he didn't, but he's on the wrong page. He's got the wrong mindset at this point in time. He comes good in the end, uh, but Jesus is patiently teaching him here. They weren't ready to deal with the reality of Jesus's torture and crucifixion. Jesus saw their vulnerability. He's not calling Peter Satan. He knows the difference. But Peter was kind of acting as the voice piece of Satan. Peter is voicing the temptation to turn away from the revealed will of God. He's trying to mute God. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, the interests of God, the things God's concerned about, but merely human concerns, the wrong mindset at this point. The enemy of our souls is prowling around, trying to give us the worldly mindset instead of his, his mindset. The easy road, the quick fix road, the non-suffering option, the don't follow God option. And what we have in mind will affect what we do, right? 
our actions on the whole spring from what we think and plan. So what, what are God's concerns? Well, we have to start with the, the fundamental belief in Jesus, the reality, the truth. Jesus said he is the truth. And what is the will of God? Well, we know that, um, slide nine, love is the will of God. And Jesus taught his disciples a new command I give to you, that you love one another. Um, By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So that's one revelation of, of God that... You know, we've got the great commission and the great commandment, the great commandment to love one another and to go and tell the world about Jesus and whom God sent, his only begotten son. So that's the mission. And in the prayer, Jesus, John chapter 17, Jesus prayed, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent So to know God, to know Jesus, that's uh, the mission to love in Christ's name. The the principle for this section here, Christ's mission, slide 10, Christ's mission supersedes our personal agendas. I've been working at TAFE and everything supersedes something beforehand. It takes the place off. It replaces. It's instead of. And it is taking the place of Christ's mission to love others, to love God with all our heart, soul, and to go and tell others about Jesus. That's our mission, Christ's mission. I have been taken with book titles. Here's another one that I saw this week. My sister actually has been reading it, and um, she's got breast cancer, and so she's you know thinking about dying, And this title, Finding the Right Hill to Die On, it's a a triage. It's a case for theological triage, you know, what doctrines are worth dying for, I suppose. But I liked it um, that the mission of Christ is a life and death issue. It's the ultimate question, really. Who is Christ to you and how does it change your life? What do you live for? Um, So finding the right hills to die on. There's a lot of biblical references to looking out to the hills. I was seeing David and Helen last week and looked out to the Mount Kutha hills. Um, And God is the one we would be equipped to die for but he's the one who should be central as we look to him. We've seen Jesus tell plainly the absolute necessity of the cross just now. Let's look at, he'll unpack a little bit more of what he means by the cross for us, his followers. And then there's mention of coming in the last verses. The cost is the the way of the cross Jesus spoke about suffering, and he's saying not only must I suffer, because he's going to the cross, but he's kind of saying that the disciples too, and we see that they did, Uh, especially if Peter, tradition holds that he was crucified, and he was crucified upside down. So the time would come when Peter would die for his faith. 
and the disciples would, would spread the news of what they knew and had witnessed. The discipleship for Jesus here is to deny, must, there's lots of musts, must. So must means you have to, there's no choice. You know, you must have a visa to come to Australia, you must, there's an obligation. This is very strong. To deny oneself, to take up one's cross and to think more of others than of oneself. If we deny ourselves as a follower of Christ, you know, take up our cross, and if we think of others, more of others than of ourselves, this is gain. Maybe not worldly profit, but it's eternal gain. The cross itself is a symbol of suffering. Um, and self-denial speaks of readiness to suffer for someone else. Christ is our pattern, he's our mentor, and he, he experienced temptation. He knows what it's like to uh, try and avoid the cross. And of course we do, but to the followers, they need to know the truth. No cross, no crown. Loss is gain, gain is loss. Jesus isn't calling us to deny ourselves certain luxuries or bad habits, but to deny our perceived right to ourselves, our own lives. We've got to renounce ownership of we belong to him. We are not our own. We were bought with a price. And he wants us to submit unswervingly to his will. And it brings opposition. Whatever the cost, Jesus says, Say no to self and say yes to God. There's a paradox in verse 35. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. So if you save, you lose. If you lose, you save. In other words, whoever retains control of, his, of their own life actually forfeits the authentic life, the eternal life. Uh, the authentic life that only Jesus gives. In other words, uh, on the other hand, whoever allows their own will to be crucified, there's a positive here, receives eternal life through death. Well, what's the value of a soul? Verse 36. Our soul, interestingly I saw, it's the same word as the word for life in this passage. So physical and spiritual one soul is worth more than the whole world. Jesus points out um, the stupidity of getting what the world offers and trading away the most valuable possession we could ever have. Verse 38 is about being ashamed. And this can creep in, can't it? Maybe not a, a, in big ways. I haven't been asked to give my life for Jesus, but there is a cause and effect here. If you're ashamed of me now, I'll be ashamed of you later. If you're ashamed of me now, I'll be ashamed of you later. So there's a later. Let's have a look at the coming. Because this concludes with a note of hope. Because Jesus is coming again. This is in verse, the end of verse 38. It's a sense of future here. When he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So there's a, a victorious return coming in the future. 
And it looks to me like there's also the, in verse, nine, uh, verse 1 of chapter 9, has come, the kingdom of God has come with power. And that's evident with Jesus' coming. So there's a message of hope, a future coming, and a solemn assurance too that some of the people standing there at that time wouldn't taste death until the kingdom of God has come with power. Um, so what is this promise of the kingdom of God? We often pray, we, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, your will be done. Good prayers. And God's kingdom has come and it will come. There is loss and sacrifice in following Christ, but a great promise is given. And yeah, there's lots of layers of this biblical prophecy. But my final principle for this section is that death comes to us all and eternal life comes through Jesus Christ. Death comes to us all and eternal life through Jesus Christ. We shouldn't think that we'll never die, but we do. But, you know, COVID, of all things, should have taught us that, this. Uh, we've seen the awful footage of the German, the floods in Germany and Europe. There were 36 hours, three months of rain, a deluge, and, you know, it's horrendous. My sister told me of a couple in Fiji, an elderly couple, and their son is in New Zealand. My mum's from Fiji, was. And the couple were, were not keen to have the vaccine, you know, avoiding the COVID vaccine. And the son in New Zealand was trying to persuade them. In the end, they, they said, OK, we'll go and get the vaccine, but we're not going together. We're going to send mum first, and she'll get the first AstraZeneca. And then later, you know, when everything's all right, she's past the clot danger, we'll... we'll maybe had both vaccines, the father would go. So, but the trouble is the, the mother got the first vaccine, but she also got COVID while she's waiting in line for the vaccine, no, no masks, and went home, didn't know, unknowingly gave her husband COVID. He hadn't had any vaccines. He died. So death is real, isn't it? But this hope we have, Death comes to us all. Eternal life is there. This is good news that Jesus died to save us and, and conquered death. So like the COVID vaccine, you know, we've got a choice to make. And Jesus gives us free choice. Remember, he, he look, he's compassionate, he's, he's kind and patient, but he doesn't coerce, he doesn't twist our arm. Um, and we don't know when death will come. Life with complete immunity against death is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So are you choosing life through Christ? And will you believe in him as your saviour and life giver, life sustainer, eternal life giver today? So who is Jesus to you, miracle worker, Messiah? Bread of life, truth, hope, humble servant, suffering servant. Whatever your perception of him, Jesus is Lord. He is 
the Son of God, King Eternal, Omnipotent, Omnipresent, Omniscient One, King of the Universe, and he cannot be put on mute forever. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we ask you now for strength to see you as you truly are and to have courage to follow you wherever you lead us, whatever the cost, and not to be ashamed of you when you re- and, and to greet you with open arms when you return. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.